0: Anybody sneak in here before I didn't get a chance to get, did I get you guys copies? Here, why you to get some more down. Thank you, sir. Man. Yeah, hand
1: down. Great, thank you.
0: I'm going to put these right here in case anybody else wants them. All right, we've got a lot to cover today, so I'm going to try to get it started right away here. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this class that we've been having over the last number of weeks and um, just reflecting on our responsibility as your people and our marriages and our singleness, um, all the different temptations that face us and difficulties that we encounter. Pray especially for us today, Lord, that you would um, watch over us and attend to our our time together, uh, help your word to instruct us in such a way that we are not only informed and have a greater understanding of what it says, but also, Father, that we would be moved um, in our hearts and minds to follow it and love you in greater ways. Um, pray especially for those that gather this morning to get today um, with heavy hearts uh, because of broken relationships in their own lives or the lives of their family, and I pray that you would minister your peace and comfort to them today, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, I gave you this handout and it's got lots of information on it, but I did that on purpose uh, just because we're going to go through a lot of different things today. Um, So I want to start with that first uh, point up there at the top, just a few things to kind of note as we begin. So we're in the middle of this class on relationships. We've been talking about marriage, we've been watching a video series on that, talking about singleness, talking about challenges with regard to those stages of life, those places that the Lord puts us. And uh, the video series is completed, as we looked at last week, but I've got a few more things that I wanted us to cover, and one of them um, is just the whole topic of divorce. Um, obviously, it fits in with the series that we've been talking about, um, we think about marriage, but we also think about the brokenness that comes with that so often, um, and sometimes actually ending up in a, in a broken marriage, a divorce, and um, it certainly touches people in the midst of our own congregation, and so the session had actually asked me a while back to uh, try to incorporate that into this class that we were doing, and so um, that's part of the reason why we're doing this today. Um, Today's class, if you've been here, if you've, you know, if you've been here at all for Sunday school, uh, you know that typically we try to do discussion-oriented classes, and certainly that's been our, our uh, MO for this class that we've been doing this semester. Um, but today, um, it's going to be a little less discussion-oriented because I want to get through this material, but I, but I am going to try to leave some time at the end for some Q&A. So, um, so that's the first thing. But the second thing is, is that this is not Um, all I'm going to be able to do today is an overview. And so we're not going to be able to dig super deep into a lot of the nuances and complexities of the biblical text. And so my hope is um, that... If you have questions, if you're wondering about certain things, just jot some things down on that piece of paper and send me a note. And I'll be happy to get together with you and, and talk through some of the specifics or the nuances or the complexities of that. Um, it's, it's one of the things I love to do is just to kind of get together and talk through things like that. So um, if if uh, either you have questions about particular circumstances or things that we talk about today, just, and, I don't, and I'm not able to get to it at the, uh, at the end of our class, just write it down and, and drop me a note, and we'll try to get together and do that. So uh, something else I want to mention, too, just as a, I'm sure you're probably aware, is that, that there are uh, lots of differing views on uh, the topic that we're covering today on divorce, even, I would say, within the evangelical community that uh, we certainly would consider our, ourselves a part of. Um, Even within the evangelical churches and communities, there's a lot of differing understandings of Scripture and uh, applications of that. Uh, From some churches that would say no divorce is ever allowed to, um, to some that would say divorce is allowed for just about any reason that you can think of. Um, so we're uh, going to try to cut through some of that to kind of give you an understanding of where our denomination is, but also understand what we think the scriptures are teaching. So it's, it's helpful to, to kind of lay out our operating assumption, my operating assumption to begin with. Um, I'm not going to try to... Uh, defend this assumption. This is just the assumption that I'm beginning with today that we're going to be um, working from, and that is that Scripture is God's authoritative word, and uh, it is authoritative for us, and as a result, we're actually supposed to bring our uh, ethics, our lives, into conformity with it. Uh, that's how the Lord uh, helps us to grow, is to bring us into uh, greater uh, agreement with and conformity to His Word. So that's kind of an operating assumption uh, for us today. Um, I do want you to know that uh, our denomination, the PCA, has spent actually a lot of time talking and thinking through and studying um, how the Scriptures apply to uh, the issue of divorce. Uh, Back in the late 1980s, um, as good Presbyterians often do, we created a study committee, um, and it was uh, some great scholars were put together on that committee, and they, I think it was over a period of uh, a couple years, um, unpacked. Uh, the scriptures, and they really were given three responsibilities. One was, um, what does uh, what does the Bible teach about uh, divorce and remarriage and all the different complexities of that? Um, secondly, um, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which our denomination subscribes to as a faithful rendering of the Bible's teachings on a number of different things, says some things about divorce, is what, is what the confession said... Um, Accurate to what the Bible says? Was it more restrictive, less restrictive? So that was a second thing that they were looking into. And then the third thing was to come up with a list of practical helps um, and considerations. So they did that um, and developed, it's about 120 page uh, paper that came out, one of our longer uh, study committee reports. Um, very helpful, very thorough, as you might imagine, um, and it was very—it uh, was received by our denomination as a very helpful tool for sessions and presbyteries and pastors and elders and congregants to use. And um, it's available online. I'll be happy to send that to you. What I'm going to try to do today is kind of a. Um, uh, a, syn- a synopsis of that report in a lot of ways um, but there's much more information in that report than what I'll be able to do today so it's a helpful resource for us um, if if there are those that are interested in looking at it so let me start by talking a little bit about um, what, how the scriptures view marriage in a general way and we've talked about this already in the class um, early on in the video series, uh, we talked about the difference between a contract and a covenant. And one of the reasons why it came up in the early part of the class is because the scriptures, by and large, speak about uh, marriage in terms of a covenant. Um, you can go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, before the fall took place with Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, and the language that's even being used there in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, about how a man will... Uh, leave his family of origin and will, some translations say, cleave or some say hold fast uh, to, his, uh, to, his, to his bride, to his wife. That language that's being used there of holding fast or cleaving, um, it, it's the language of relationship. It, it's actually uh, terminology that's used in other places in the scriptures to speak about the covenant relationship between God and his people. Um, so, uh, Israel is... Supposed to cleave with affection and loyalty to the Lord, so that, that just the language that 's being used kind of puts us in the in the um, uh, the context of a covenant in the Malachi chapter two passage that we'll look at here in just a minute um, it 's actually the, the idea of marriage as a covenant is actually specifically said uh, in, in chapter two uh, Malachi chapter two I think it 's in verse fourteen um, he speaks about a wife uh, of a covenant, so just the idea of, of a of a bond, a union, a relationship. And in fact, throughout the scriptures, marriage is actually used as an analogy of God's relationship with these people and of Christ's relationship with the church. So there's this almost kind of assumption in the scriptures about marriage being a covenant, a bond, a union between a man and a woman. And certainly if we also think about The scriptures talking about marriage, we we need to make a distinction between God's intention before the fall and then the reality of what happened as a result of the fall. But I think if we look at scripture as a whole, and we'll see some of these passages in just a minute, um, the idea of marriage really um, in the scriptures is the idea of a lifelong covenant relationship of love, and faithfulness between a man and a woman. And uh, that there, as a result of that, there is a measure of fulfillment that comes in their lives. Now, it's not perfect, and it doesn't always come to the same degree to both parties, and sometimes it doesn't feel like it's there at all. But God's intention, certainly, uh, with marriage, was that it would be a lifelong bond, union, covenant uh, between a man and a woman um, in love and faithfulness. So, how is divorce viewed in Scripture generally? Well, a couple of things here. Number one, um, after the fall, one of the things that the scriptures show us is that divorce was happening. And I've listed a bunch of passages there for you just as an example of different places in the Bible that make reference to the fact that divorce was taking place in the cultures in which the Bible was being written. Uh, so it's a reality uh, post fall it 's a reality of what uh, is is taking place in the world, um, so I think it 's important as we 're going to look here at some passages that address it it 's important for us to recognize a difference between um, the bible uh, acknowledging and recognizing uh, that uh, uh, that divorce is taking place and the, and the Bible uh, sanctioning it or approving it taking place. There's a difference between that. Uh, the fact that it's there in the scriptures doesn't mean that that is um, the Bible's tacit uh, uh, just kind of approval that, you know, whatever goes is fine. It's in reality to what had happened with the fall with Adam and Eve and, and the brokenness that came as a result of that. Um, I, I think it's also helpful, the scriptures help us to understand how God views divorce. Um, I have the Malachi 2 passage there listed for you. Um, what I did with these um, several passages we're going to look at um, this morning, um, I actually typed them in for you. There, there may be a, a comma, typo kind of stuff every occasion. That's my, that's my fault. Um, I was typing them in um, yesterday. Um, but you might also want to, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the passage yourself if you'd like to. Um, but this Malachi 2 passage is actually helpful and the scripture is kind of giving us a sense of how God views divorce in general. Um, Malachi, uh, just quick, quickly to give you some context here, Malachi Um, is uh, speaking to um, Israel and God's people as they're returning from exile and uh, warning them and helping them to understand why it is that God is not blessing them in certain ways, why God is withholding his blessing. And there's a little bit of complaining going on here in chapter 2, the people of God. Um, And that's kind of what's going on here in the context of verse 13. He's speaking to the people and he said, the second thing that you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand. So he's saying, basically, you're upset. You're, you're wondering why God is not accepting your offerings from uh, your your worship, your, your offerings of worship to him. Um, and uh, you say, well, why does he not? In verse 14 there. And Malachi answers, Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Um, just a couple things from this passage. And again, I'm just wanting to kind of show us, scriptures giving us how God views divorce. Um, I mean, the context there is he's contrasting um, the wife of his youth, the companion, which for us, companion is a very kind of... Um, it's kind of a, a, a loose word um, in, in the Hebrew. It actually has much of a strong, much more of a stronger connotation there. This is his wife. This is the one he is in covenant with, as the word's even used there. Um, with the fact that they are divorcing their wives, and he calls that things like faithlessness. And um, some translations um, uh, it'll say dealing treacherously with uh, your wife. Uh, so the, the, one of the keys there is verse 16, which is the last uh, sentence or so. Um, and verse 16 is really hard to translate. And some of your translations have different things, especially if you have the NIV there. I do think that the ESV translation, which is what you have in front of you, is probably the best uh, translation of that verse, and essentially, regardless of how it's translated, uh, the, I think the NIV, the, the, the NIV translated it, you know, God hates divorce. Um, the the ESV doesn't have that exact terminology in here, but the essence of what's being said there is that God is not in favor of it. Um, it's not something that is his intention. It's not something that is pleasing to him. So that's, that's really kind of the context of what's happening here in Malachi chapter 2 and, and what he's... Uh, what, what's being communicated to us there about God's view of divorce is that it's that it's obviously something as a result of the fall, not something that is um, something that's good, that's a part of His uh, original creation and intention. So, uh, as we'll see here in Matthew chapter 19, another way that the scriptures view generally divorce is that it's a breaking of the one flesh union or bond or covenant made between a man and a woman. Um, God said in Genesis 1 and 2 that a man will leave his wife or leave his family and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and they will be one flesh. So, a divorce is is, is a breaking of that one flesh union or bond or covenant that's been made between a man and a woman so let's let's dive into some of these specific scripture passages that I've got for you here. These are specifically New Testament passages where divorce is being addressed in the context of uh, teaching both by Jesus and by Paul. So the first one um, that I want to look at is Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Um, There's a corollary passage to that that I didn't, I I listed Matthew 5 for you. Um, There's a corollary passage to that in in Luke, and I didn't quote it because it's basically the same context, the same uh, thing being said with a little bit of a nuance, Um, but in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we have Jesus' teaching. And again, just the context there, it's the Sermon on the Mount. So you have all these little pithy statements that are being made about various things. And so in Matthew chapter 5, we get these two verses, excuse me, about uh, Jesus addressing the issue of divorce. And so this is what it says. It It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now notice that's a quote. Jesus is quoting something. But I say to you, and so here's what Jesus is saying, that everyone who divorces his wife except on grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So the context there, teaching the Sermon on the Mount, you see the quote, Jesus is actually referencing the Pharisees' teaching about Deuteronomy chapter 24. Uh, passage in the Old Testament and so the, the, we'll talk about this a little bit more with Matthew 19 but the Pharisees um, on the one hand tended to be people who tried to hold everybody to the letter of the law but on the other hand, a lot of times the Pharisees had a laxity; uh, had a, they were very lax in their in their uh, uh, their kind of application of the law, and and so they had grabbed onto some teachings, and they had been teaching some things that were incorrect related to um, related to Deuteronomy chapter twenty four and what Moses is saying there. So. Uh, We'll get into that a little bit more in the next passage in Matthew 19. But what I want you to see here, primarily, is that Jesus gives some instruction and basically says that if divorce is taking place for reasons other than sexual morality, that it's wrong, that it's not according to uh, what is allowed. So... um, so, first of all, that he gives, there's an exception given to um, when divorce would be allowed. But also notice, he doesn't say that if that exception takes place, that a divorce is required. So, just because uh, sexual immorality takes place in a marriage doesn't mean that the marriage has to be, has to end. But it does give an allowance for that. So, that's the Matthew 5, verses 31 and 32 passage. Let's look at Matthew 19. This is, again, Jesus interacting with the Pharisees, and you'll see a little bit of their trying funny business with him um, coming up here in this passage, a little more clearly here in this passage. So Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9, it's also um, in Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 11, uh, but I've got the Matthew passage for you there. So the Pharisees came up to Jesus, and they tested him by asking, Is it lawful, again, quote, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He, that's Jesus, answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus quoting back in Genesis 1 and 2. So he goes on and says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. they, that's the Pharisees, said to Jesus, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her a wife away? And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So a couple things that are going on here. First of all, The Pharisees, uh, what Jesus is teaching here is in the context of the Pharisees trying to trick, trap, and, and, and get Jesus to say something that he shouldn't say that they then could accuse him of. And what they come to Jesus with is actually not what Moses says in Deuteronomy 24. Uh, this, is, this is the Pharisees twisting what they were saying. Because notice, they said, um, why does Moses... Uh, well, first of all, before we get to what they said with Moses, notice what they quote from Deuteronomy chapter 24. It is lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause. So... Number one, they're playing the the lawful code, like what what's the letter of the law say. But then they come at the end, they say for any cause. So it's kind of like they're they're focused on just the bare ritual of legislation, but on the other hand, they're they're trying to open it up as wide as possible for any cause. Like you don't like. The color socks that she puts on, you know, for any cause, uh, you can send her away and give her a certificate of divorce. So Jesus says, no, let me, let me take you, let me, let me exegete the scriptures for you. So he takes them to Genesis 1 and 2 and shows them what God's intention was there in Genesis 1 and 2. A man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. Two shall become one flesh, no longer two, but one. And therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. So then... The Pharisees come back and they twist what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Moses didn't command that. He gave them some explanation and gave them... There's a provision in the law in the Old Testament. If a, law, if, a, if a spouse was doing something... The word there is indecent or sexual immorality is taking place. Then there's an allowance to give a certificate of divorce. But they're twisting Moses' words trying to trap Jesus. And so what Jesus does is just brilliant. He comes back and says, Well, the reason why that provision was given for you is because... The hardness of heart. Sin. The fall. The brokenness of this world. So it's not that that was the intention from the beginning, Jesus says. But it was given because of the fall, because of the brokenness of man. And so then again, he reinforces his teaching about the exception given to, uh, or the allowance given for, a potential for a divorce, is uh, sexual immorality against a spouse. So... Again, a couple things here. Um, When he says, when he uses the word sexual immorality, some of you will know that that's the Greek word porneia, um, and there's been a lot of discussion about that particular Greek word, and some of you know that, so I just wanted to kind of address that um, just shortly. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about this, but um, the Greek word porneia um, is most accurately translated as sexual immorality. But there's a lot of discussion, even in the evangelical word, as to what all that word represents. Like, what all is included under the category of, under the umbrella of, pornea. Um, And I I will just tell you that I think that the best, most accurate translation is what we're given here in uh, the ESV, and I think the NIV translates it the same way um, sexual immorality. And um, I, I don't think that it can be translated just kind of. Like, almost like the Pharisees do. Someone, someone would want to say, like, almost anything falls underneath the category of pornea. Even things that are not sexually oriented. Um, but I think if you look from old, the Old Testament equivalent word, the New Testament word pornea, you look at the context of how that was used in the Bible, look at the context of how that was used in the ancient cultures, um, it really is talking about uh, things like adultery. <laughs> Um, I think there are probably some other things related to that, but they all relate to um, some kind of uh, wrong sexual encounter that takes place, whether it's homosexuality or adultery or incest. All of those kind of things would be kind of included underneath that, that word porneia. Uh, so I think the best translation is what we have in the ESV there, sexual immorality, um, and specifically uh, the, the issue of adultery. So so that's the Matthew 19 passage, also the Mark 10 passage. Now let me me come to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So here we have Paul um, speaking and addressing specific circumstances in the church. And uh, this is what he says in verses 10 through 15. He says, To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. So he's basically... He's basically giving us a specific command that came from the Lord himself. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say... I, not the Lord, so now it's not, he's not referencing a specific command of Jesus. He's giving us the inspired word of God through the Apostle Paul. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But, if the unbelieving partner separates, and that word separates is the equivalent of our word uh, divorce, then let it be so in such case in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So just quickly here, I want to give you um, a little bit of what 's going on. Paul's addressing two different groups of people here in these verses, so in verses ten and eleven, the first two verses he 's addressing two spouses who are Christians. So he's addressing two, a man and a woman, both who are proclaiming uh, 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 Christians. And basically what he says is don't divorce each other, don't separate. Um, The Greek word there refers to what we we refer to today as divorce. So if there are these two Christian spouses, they're not to divorce. But if they do divorce, he said, because he recognizes that that's a reality in the culture he was living, then basically they have two options, uh, to remain unmarried or to reconcile. So he's speaking to the two spouses who are Christians in verses 10 and 11. And then in verses 12 through 15, he's talking about uh, a different situation. He's talking about a marriage where there's one spouse who's a Christian and one spouse who's not a Christian. And he's saying that if an unbelieving spouse in this marriage desires to stay in the marriage, that the Christian should stay. If the unbelieving spouse desires to leave the marriage, and the implication there is that that they do leave the marriage, there's a divorce that takes place, then the unbelieving spouse should let them go, and that they're not held in slavery in that, in that sense. So, again, just recognizing that there are kind of these two different categories of people that Paul's addressing um, in these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So now, let me, let me give a summary of kind of these passages and what we've looked at. So we, we've seen from Genesis 1 and 2, from the Matthew 19 passage, and even from, we haven't looked at it, but the, the book of Hosea, um, marriage is a covenant relationship between a man and a woman and is intended to be a lifelong commitment, uh, a bond, a union, a, a covenant between them. As a result of the fall... Uh, the reality is, is that there is sin and brokenness in the world and as a result of that sometimes divorces do take place. Scripture um allows for a divorce in two specific kinds of circumstances. One would be um, adultery taking place. We see that in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 from Jesus' own words. The other situation that uh, another uh, place their Scripture allows for a divorce is the circumstance given to us in 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul talks about an unbelieving spouse deserting the marriage, uh, willful desertion by an unbelieving spouse. And um, I didn't go into this in great detail, but it is, you can kind of get it from the passages we've looked at today. Um, the, The innocent spouse, and I put those in quotations on your. Uh, page there just because I think even those who have gone through divorces everyone recognizes that we're all sinners and so there's always brokenness on both parts sometimes there's a cause more on one side than the other but there's brokenness everywhere in a, in a broken marriage and even in good marriages and so um, but the one who has not caused the divorce to take place um, that spouse the innocent spouse is free to remarry in those particular circumstances so I'm hitting you with lots of information. Um, I told you I was going to do that. So uh, I'm just making good on the promise that I gave you. Um, But what I want to do, before I open it up for some um, Q&A, now we've gone through those passages, I want to talk a little bit about the responsibility of the church in the context of um, that brokenness happening in the context of a a local church. So here are some things that I just want to draw your attention to. First of all, The church, its elders, its officers, its pastors, um, has a responsibility to pastorally care for and shepherd the people that God has called together to be the members of the church. Um, And to do that with love and to do it with grace. And that means even in the midst of brokenness, even in the midst of, of brokenness that results in something like a divorce. Um, And so the the pastors, the elders, the officers of the church, the leaders of the church, um, there's a responsibility there to to pastor and shepherd and and the pastors and elders are actually going to be held accountable about that in front of their heavenly father Um, and for it to be done with love and grace even in the midst of great brokenness. Church members, um, again I'm talking specifically in our denomination, um, members of the PCA, um, when you become a member, if you are a member, you remember these days, you, you actually uh, 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 take five membership vows. And one of those vows that you take is a promise to be in submission to the government and the discipline of the church and when we go over those in the new the new uh new members class and uh when i meet with people over coffee to talk through them um, I've become more and more convinced that it's really important to kind of talk over that one in particular, um, to say what it doesn't mean and to say what it does mean. But it does come to bear when there's a situation like this in the context of a local church, is that the members of the church, not the not, not those who are not members, but the members of the church have actually taken a vow um, to not only hold the officers to the responsibility of loving them and shepherding them well, but also to be in submission to them as they're seeking to follow the word of God. God Um, and so there's this kind of mutual relationship that we have in the church that we have to kind of work out when we have a situation um, in this kind of a uh, a brokenness broken situation like this so um, the the elders and the the pastors um, have a responsibility to engage the members of the church who are considering or actually involved in the process of getting a divorce again they are to do that with love and with pastoral concern and care and, uh, and just a sense of wanting um, the Lord to be glorified but for there to be help into the brokenness of the situation. Um, ideally, that is very. Um, uh, it begins informally. It's relational. Um, it's it's interaction um, uh, between the officers and the and the the people that are going through that, with the intention of trying to get them help, whether it's through the church or outside of the church in other ways. Um, but there's a responsibility of the 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 shepherds of the sheep to to kind of come alongside and pastorally walk with folks in that situation. And if they're particularly seeking to get a divorce, then that would be something that. The session would feel like we need to help in that in the midst of that situation and speak into that. Informally is best, relationally is best, but at times, folks, members of the church, uh, desiring to get an unbiblical divorce um, can move the situation more from more of an informal engagement to more of a formal engagement from the session. So, our the Book of Church Order um, has actually a, a number of different chapters in it. They're not the chapters you ever want to have to go and read through, but you're always glad that if you do have to go through it, that you have those available to you because they're very detailed, very specific to help pastors and elders and deacons to walk through very difficult situations like this. And it's all based on following the steps in Matthew chapter 18 in terms of how to approach um, when there's specific sin that is needing to be addressed. Um, Like I said, those chapters are extremely thorough and very detailed. And uh, when you're getting ready to take your ordination exams and you have to know what all they say, you're just kind of completely... Um, Overwhelmed and uh, uh, maybe a bit despondent because of all the details that have to go into that. But I'll tell you, when you're having to do it on the other side of the coin, um, of having to walk through brokenness, you're so glad that um, fathers and brothers uh, who have gone before us have helped to codify so many different helpful kinds of things that can guide sessions as they walk through difficult situations like this. Um, so, and what we're talking about really is church discipline. And the scriptures, I think, rightly teach, and our book of church order kind helps of helps us to explain those um, biblical passages. The, the purpose of church discipline is, one, to reclaim sinners. So, to try to see if there are folks that are doing something that's not right according to God's word, to try to... To try to help them to understand that, and to see them to to come away from that, to repent of that, to turn away from that. So that's certainly one purpose of the process of church discipline. But but another pro, another uh, purpose of church discipline um, is also to maintain the glory of the name of Jesus. That uh, if something is not right that is happening, um, the the church, the officers of the church, have a responsibility of proclaiming what is right and what is true, and 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 seeking to honor the glory. Of our Savior and to hold His name up high. And then a third thing I, uh, that our BCO, our, our book, of, book of Church Order, talks about as a purpose of church discipline is simply as a warning to the congregation as a whole, to God's people, that um, we all need to be. Uh, Watchful and circumspect, and need to be thoughtful. I don't care whether you think, uh, if you're married, I don't care whether you think your marriage is the greatest thing that's ever come along. Um, We all need to be very careful and very thoughtful and proactively engaged in seeking health. And um, uh, and the glory of the Lord in our marriages. And um, unfortunately, when church discipline takes place, it's a reminder to all of us we have to be careful. Even if we think that we're on steady ground, because Jesus says that be careful when you think you're on steady ground, because your slip your foot might slip, and uh, the ground might fall underneath you. So. Um, The session in our denomination, the local governing session, the elders and the pastors are given the responsibility of trying to discern um, when folks are going through a divorce, whether it's a biblically allowed divorce or not, and then to engage that as best that they can and as best as they're able, given the scriptures and our polity, our book of church order. Um, Every situation is different. Uh, there are lots of complexities and nuances, which I mentioned earlier. Obviously, we can't get into all of that today. Um, and my experience, limited as it is, but my experience, uh, uh, not just here, but in other churches as well, is that anytime a session is involved in something like this, it's always hard, it's always messy, it's always sad, and it's rare that you come away, that everybody comes away satisfied. Um, so that's just a reality of where we are in on this side of the fall. Um, and e- even in the midst of all of that, um, the elders still are held accountable uh, to have dealt with that as uh, according to God's word as possible. Now, even in the midst of that, when you're getting into that kind of detail, it still and always and throughout needs to be done with love and care and concern and grace. And whatever is done by the session needs to go slowly and needs to be done with much prayer um, and prayer specifically for wisdom and guidance. So I'm going to open it up here. Just we've got a few minutes for some Q&A. And again, let me just restate what I said at the beginning. Um, There's no way to answer everybody's questions today. Um, That wasn't I wasn't attempting to do that. I wanted to give you kind of baseline of what we understand the scriptures to teach. Um, I wanted to give you um, the uh, uh, kind of a snapshot of the responsibility of the leadership of the church in terms of what the role and responsibilities are there. Um, and if, if you have questions particular to your situation, um, particular to um, uh, family members, or whatever it might be in your head, um, send me a note and I'll be happy to get together with you and we can kind of work through or, or the elders too. I can throw them under the bus uh, a little bit. Um, I'm sure that they, I'm sure that they, I won't say they would be glad to, but they'll be willing uh, to, uh, to meet and to discuss those kinds of things too. Um, let me before I, before, before I do some Q&A, um, I do want to say this too, um, because the reality is, is that we have folks that have experienced some of this sitting in the room and in our church and so um, there is Forgiveness. We serve a God, um, who has, uh, uh, sent his son to die on the cross, and, uh, that death on the cross covers, um, even, uh, a sinful divorce. And, uh, that's important to know is that, uh, and, and the elders understand that as well, and that's actually part of the process. If, it, if something ever has to get to a very formal process, like I was mentioning there at the end, um, Forgiveness, grace, mercy, the love of God is something that is always there as people um, need to hear and they need to put their trust and hope in that. So even those who have gone through the difficulties of these kinds of things and they evaluate their position or what's happened and they realize this wasn't done right or it wasn't done well, um, it, but, it, but it's done what do you do with that? Well, you go to the Lord and you ask for forgiveness and you repent and the Lord is faithful and just and He will forgive you for your sins just like He forgives me for my sins and He forgives all of us for our sins as we come to Him and confess that. Okay, that's enough talking for me for a second here. Let me uh, just see if there are uh, some final... I I only have a couple minutes here, but let me just see if there are some questions or thoughts um, that I've uh, completely unpacked here and opened up possibilities for Joe? How can we encourage our novel to use government with private for considering the voice? Thanks for the easy question. <laughs> Well, so the question was, how can we encourage our unbelieving um, family, friends, who are contemplating divorce, and I'm assuming you're saying to not do it. Um, and so, you know, everything that I've kind of covered today and my operating assumption um, don't necessarily work in that situation, although it might. I mean, you never know. But um, And so, I mean, I think you don't shy away from that. I mean, I think this is still the truth. Even if people don't believe it, it's still the truth. So I think it's reinforcing those things. Um, but i 'll tell you that um, you know I think one powerful thing is just to talk about the the, um, the the very real potential of things not being any better on the other side of it um, there 's brokenness on the other side as well. And um, situations that I've seen in my life, um, you know, uh, couples getting a divorce feel like it's going to solve the problem. It's going to relieve the pressure. And it may in some ways that they feel, but inevitably it causes and creates other problems on the backside of it. And so um, I think helping people to understand just on a human level that... Um, although it seems like it's the, the, the thing that needs to be done in this particular situation to get relief for some reason, um, it, it likely is going to cause additional trouble and difficulties and possibly for the rest of their lives, uh, especially if there are kids involved. So that's one thing that I think, I mean, I wouldn't shy away from taking them to the scriptures um, and talking about the God of grace and mercy, but, but that's certainly, I think, the, the human repercussions of it are, are another part of it. Mark. You mentioned kids, too. It's not just uh, uh, damage to the couple, but
1: like damage to the collateral damage to the
0: uh, family and friends. Potentially, that's right. There is, there is the possibility of collateral damage to, I mean, to, to family and friends, and, um, especially if there are kids in the home still. But even if the kids are not in the home, it's still, it, it still can have an impact on them. And Mark? Just an
1: additional comment, just Flesh union or the one. It's f- not my word. Well, the, it just, uh, you know, our culture has um, uh, separated that one flesh bond from marriage. And, uh, uh, any, and, and also the consequences of the physical and spiritual bond of that one flesh. Um, and uh, so even here, it's interesting that. Uh, within the Christian context we're saying if that bond does get broken then we don't form another bond and in our culture outside of marriage uh, there's this idea that you know these bonds can be uh, made and broken um, and I think uh, that's uh, the other concern there is all these uh, every time a bond is made there's a Scars and brokenness that occurs.
0: Yeah. Yeah, good. I think I think everybody could hear you, so I won't repeat all that. But that's very good, um, good thing for us to remember. Um, we're at the time, so I need to I need to bring us to a conclusion. But like I said, if you have questions, please follow up with me. Let me know. Grab one of the elders. Uh, I'm happy to talk through some more of this with you. Um, we won't have Sunday school for the adults next Sunday. Um, it's usually the last Sunday of the month is our fellowship Sunday, which would be today. But because of some calendar things with me, um, it's actually going to be next Sunday. So we won't have adult Sunday school. You'll have fellowship time in between the two services. Um, and so we'll come back on April the 9th, and uh, we'll be uh, continuing on in our class. I've got a panel discussion coming up for you with some married folks, so uh, you'll want to come back for that. So let me pray for us. Father, um, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us uh, what it says in it, um, not just about how we are to live, but also the the reality of the brokenness of this world because of the fall and uh, your grace and mercy to us through Christ. And uh, I do pray, Father, that you would use this as an opportunity for us to dig deeper into your word and to uh, orient our lives uh, toward what your word says. And I pray especially, Father, for all of us who have been touched um, by this um, ourselves in various ways. that you would minister your grace and comfort to us and your peace. Uh, Draw us closer to yourself and help us to know your uh, forgiveness and grace and mercy because of the Lord Jesus coming and dying on the cross for us. We pray this in his name. Amen.